If you're following with us, we are in the book of 2 Thessalonians. We're in the last chapter. So we're going to deal with it this week, and we're going to deal with it next week, and then we're done. 2 Thessalonians is written six months after 1 Thessalonians. It was written to encourage and clean up and clear up some things that they had questions about in 1 Thessalonians. One of the questions was, has the Lord come back and we missed it? And Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, no, you didn't miss it. Uh, that's going to be a horrible time, and believe me, you're not there yet. Secondly, he writes to, them, to encourage them to say, look, suffering, difficulty, hardship, that's part of it. A, 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 a faith that's not tested is really not a solid faith because it's never been tested. It's easy to follow God when things are going well, but when things get tough, that's when you find out whether or not you're really set to follow God, and that's basically what he encourages them with. And then last week we talked about the idea that Paul said, look, you've you got to understand the Christian life thing is not a Sunday thing. It's a 24-7 thing. It's a thing that ought to shape every, every aspect of just kind of what Alex said this morning, your speech, your words, your actions, your conduct, everything that you do. And we talked about that last week. This morning Paul comes to chapter 3 and he starts to wrap things up. And if you'll remember from 1 Thessalonians, one of the themes was this idea of faith, hope, and love. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he's going to come back to that. So let's start with verse 1. We're going to look at the first five verses this morning, and that's it, and then uh, apply some things. Notice what he says, verse 1, <coughs> 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, so he's coming to the end of it. He says, brethren, so he's talking to believers. Notice what the first thing he says is. Pray for us. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal until you think about who's writing this. This is the great Apostle Paul. This is a guy who's written most of the New Testament that you and I possess. This is a guy who basically turned the world upside down for Christ. And he writes back to these people who are struggling and says, Hey, I need you to pray for me. An incredible amount of humility on his part. These are people who are struggling, who are saying, you know, we're just not that good, and da-da-da. And Paul said, no, 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 I need you praying for me. And then he gets very, very specific, and notice what he says. I want you to pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it was with you. In other words, here's what Paul says. Now remember, Paul's struggling. Paul's being persecuted for being a, a Christian, kind of in jail, it's tough. And Paul says, first of all, I want you to pray for the message. Not me. I want you to pray for the message. I want you to pray for the message that my life represents. I want you to pray for the message that goes forth. And notice what he says. He says that it may run swiftly. The idea is not hindered. The idea is that he wants it to take off and nothing hinder it, which means Satan is going to try to hinder it. Make no mistake about it. You decide to live for God. You decide to try to do the right thing. Satan is going to come up against you. Why? Because he wants the message hindered. Paul said, you need to pray for us that the message may go forth quickly, swiftly, without being hindered, and that it may be glorified just as it was with you. Paul said, you need to pray that my life glorifies God too. Um, I don't know if any of you remember the movie. I don't remember a lot about the movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But the movie City Slickers, 
There's a guy called Curly in it, and you know the whole premise. Uh, if you know the movie, and I don't remember all of it. I just remember Curly and the, 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 the thing that I got out of the movie. And here's what he said. He's trying to figure out what the thing is. And he said, and Curly, this old farmer, rancher kind of guy goes, it's all about the one thing. It's about the one thing. And he spends a movie trying to figure out what the one thing is. And he said, you've got to figure out what your one thing is. Paul said, here's my one thing. In fact, actually, in one passage, he says, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are mine, reaching forth to the things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, you want to know what my one thing is? That God may be glorified with the message of my life. That's it. He said, I need you to pray for me that God may be glorified with the message of my life. Now, here's my question. What's your thing? What's your one thing? Because, see, all of us are going to come to the end of our life where somebody's going to choose a word or two words or three words, maybe, and put on a tombstone somewhere. What are they going to put? What's the thing that represents your life? Because, see, I think that's where we miss it. And Paul said, here it is. Here's what I want from you. You pray for me that the message may be go forth, that God may be glorified. And then notice what he says. Now he asks the second thing, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Literally, the idea here is strange and outrageous people. Paul said, you know, there are people out there who are just way out there. And they're, they're messing up what we're trying to do. And there are people out there that are wicked people. They're trying to literally to kill us, to hurt us, so that we can't do what we do. You need to pray for us. Because those people are causing problems. Now, there's some debate. Some Bible scholars believe this. He adds this little thing, for not all have faith. There's a big question why he adds that. Because isn't that kind of obvious? Not everybody's a Christian. I mean, isn't that, why would you say that? Some people believe that Paul, when he was writing to the Thessalonica church, was saying it because here's what he's saying. I need to remind you that everybody there at your church ain't necessarily Christian. Because, see, they were having problems at their church, too. We're going to talk about that next week. Um, and they were having people teaching some things that, weren't, that Paul comes to the end of the book and, and, and deals with. But Paul's saying, look, you need to be careful here. And he said, you need to pray for us because we've got some people that are trying to hinder what we're trying to do. And so Paul starts chapter 3 asking that, and then he comes into this passage, and notice in verse 3, here's what he says. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we have commanded you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the patience of Christ. Stop and look at it. Notice what he says. The Lord is faithful. There's our idea of faith. And we have this confidence. Hope. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Love. And you know the passage in Corinthians. Now abide at these three. Faith hope, and love. Paul starts 1 Thessalonians focused on that. He comes back to that. So let's walk through them. But the Lord is faithful. First thing Paul says, don't forget the Lord has been faithful to you. 
See, these were people who were questioning what was going on in their life. I mean, they were being persecuted. They were having a difficult time. They didn't know what was going on. And Paul said, oh, stop, time out. Remember this. The Lord has been faithful to you. Can I challenge you with something? Have you ever thought about how faithful God's been to you? Some of you need to stop and take an inventory of all the great things God's done for you in your life. Because see, here's the reality of it. As Americans, we're a bunch of whiners. And we complain about first world problems. And we gripe and complain because we're dealing with and struggling with stuff that 95% of the world would give anything to have as a problem. You know why? Because we forget how faithful and good God has been to us. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't understand how faithful God's been to you, look, you need to take some inventory of, of, of what you've got. Uh, many of you know my little story. About a year ago, I started a Don't Cry For Me list that I hope gets read at my funeral one day. And it's just don't cry for me because here's what I've got to experience. Here's what I've got to see. Here's what I've watched God do. Don't cry for me. I've had a great run. And I challenge you because what that list has done for me is when things get hard and things get difficult and I step back and I go, no what? I've watched God do this and this and this and this. He's allowed me to experience this and this and this and this and this. We'll get through this. You know why? Because he's been faithful. I don't know how many times my wife and I have had the discussion in our, in our marriage about, look, we have watched God take us through all kinds of things over the years. Why would he stop now? we got 30 some odd years. I'm going to get in trouble now. 33 years. Yes, 33 years. I knew that. I was testing my wife. Um, <coughs> 33 years of God's faithfulness to us. In situations that you would look at it and say, no way. Why would God stop now? Paul stops and reminds these people, but the Lord has been faithful to you. And notice what he says. He will establish you. That means set you firm and guard you from the evil one. Some of you are like, you know, I don't understand what we're going through right now, and it's just so hard, and da-da-da. Time out. I don't have an answer for you. But I do want to remind you of something. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. Second thing Paul says is this, and we have this confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you will do, that you do and will do the things we command you. This confidence, this hope. Now, in the American world, when we use the word hope, we put a question mark by it. You know, I hope we get to go on a cruise next year. Question mark. Because the reality of it is, probably not going to happen. Because my wife doesn't like cruises if the boat's moving. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You know, we've determined the only time we can dig a cruise is if the boat moves at night when you're sleeping. The boat moves during the day, she doesn't want a part of it. So I'm looking at her going, that's a resort. That is not a cruise. I think cruise is the best thing in the world. But anyway, I hope we go on a cruise next year, question mark. 
When the Bible talks about hope, it's not a question mark, it's an exclamation point. That's the difference. We have a blessed hope. It's the idea of assurance. It's the idea of confidence. It's the idea it's going to happen. It's not a maybe, it's a for sure kind of thing. So when the Bible talks about hope, what it is that confident, that you know what, and, and here's the thing, I know what happens the moment I take my last breath. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Does it scare you? Nope. Are you ready for it? Yep. Do you want to go today? Not really, because I'm having a good time. But if that comes today, I'm okay with that. And those of you who are in healthcare, or those of you who have been in, 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 in counseling kind of things, and, and you've been in situations like me, I have watched a lot of people take their last breath. And I've been there when they've taken the last breath. And I'll tell you two things that you see. There's two, there's two extremes. I see people who have a quiet, calm assurance. And they're ready. And I've watched people in utter fear. You know what I came down to in both cases? Relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a blessed hope. And I have that confidence that God will take care of me just as he always has. And then the last thing he talks about is this. And, and you've got to bear with me as I explain this to you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Okay. Hang on for just about two minutes, and then we'll get into something that you'll probably understand, because this is, this is tough. In the Greek language, when this word was written where it says, may the Lord direct your hearts, okay? Into the love of God and the patience of Christ. In the Greek language, there's, 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 there's cases which tell us things. And this case is what they call an objective genitive. That means nothing to you. That's okay. What that means is there are different ways to interpret this. And you can interpret this in one way or in all of the ways. It's not tied to one idea. Here are the ways that this could be understood. It could be understood as, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God so that you may more deeply love God. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God so that you may realize how much God loves you. Or, may the love of God be directed into your hearts so that you experience God's love. It can be one or all. So what Paul is saying is, I want you to understand how much God's loved you, how much he continues to love you, and I want you to experience that kind of love. And I want you to have the patience of Christ in understanding how patient Jesus was and that he went all the way to the cross for you. And that you can understand that and that you can have the same kind of patience that even though you're going through a tough time right now you know what jesus went all the way to the cross for you he loved you that much he never quit he never said no he never threw in the towel and because he did that you can have that same kind of patience and that's what i want for you that idea of the love of god and the patience of god in your life so that when you go through those tough times you can know god loves you And mark my words, 
The first time something bad happens, the first time difficulty comes into your life, Satan will be there ringing your doorbell saying, God doesn't love you. And you see, here's the problem. When, when, when Satan can get your mind off of the love of God, then you know what? He opens you up for all kinds of temptations. And I'll talk about that in a second. So let's now peel it away, go to stuff that we can apply. Here's the first thing. I think the first thing out of this passage that will help us this week is this idea. You've got to decide what the focus of your life is going to be. See, when you know what you're saying yes to, then it's easy to know what to say no to. Some of you right now are frustrated because here's, here's what's happened. You have cocooned yourself in, and it's all about your world. Your job, your kids, your family, your life, your this, your that. It's all about you. What you fail to understand is there's a bigger world out there. What you fail to miss is that this is a part of this. And what's happened is you have become so focused on your world that everything's okay until something happens to your world. You know why? Because that's your focus. In other words, what's going to happen in the next couple of months in Mosul? That doesn't affect you. It affects Bob and Deb. Why shouldn't it affect us? All the issues that are out there. Why shouldn't it affect us? Because you see what happens is we become so focused on our world that we miss there's a bigger world out there. And here's what I've found. Here's what I've observed. When you step out of your world and you focus on a world that's outside of you, your world problems become much smaller. I've watched this as people have made, I've I've preached on this for years, and I've watched as people have made this transition. Where they decided, you know what, we as a family or we as a couple or we or I as an individual, I'm going to step outside of my world and I'm going to go invest over here. I'm going to go be a big brother or sister. I'm going to go serve this organization. I'm going to volunteer over here. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go put my time, money, energy, and effort, you know, once a week. You know, I'm going to give so much a percentage to this organization. I'm I'm I'm, going to spend so much time over here every week. And here's what I've watched. Their world problems don't go away. They just don't become as important because there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. And what I've learned in life is this. When you invest in something bigger than yourself and outside of yourself, the rewards are so incredible. You know why some of us come up here and have been turning bolts and screws and reading plans and building this right here? You know why? Because it's bigger than us. A lot of the people that are up here were up here when we did this one, too. Now, we're a lot older. We move a lot slower. And we try to do everything. If we can get lifts running, we're running lifts because we're climbing up just ain't as easy as it used to be. But you know what? We come back to the days that we were doing this, and we never imagined what I'm standing here looking at today. And I step back and go, man, I'm so glad that 17 years ago we made that commitment. And I don't know how we did it. Still don't know how we did it. But it did. It got done. And God used it. And I'm sitting back going, well, if God did it before, 
I have that hope and that confidence and that faith and that, that, you know what, God will do it again. And you know what? It's about something bigger than us. You know why we invest in, pe- in the Papatar people? Because there's something bigger than us. You know why we invest over it, 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 trying to help Mike and the team? It's something bigger than us. You know, I have people that volunteer with organizations all over the city because it's bigger than us. And for some of you, one of your struggles right now is your life is all about your circle. And I want to challenge you. You go, oh, you know, I just don't have time for it. Make the time. It doesn't have to be a great big thing. Just do a little thing that's not about you. And you would be amazed. You would be amazed. If you saw your job in the light of, I'm going to go in and do my job, but it's not about the paycheck, it's about the opportunity that I have to minister to the people that I work with, and it's about the opportunity that I have that when I get a paycheck, I can go help somebody else with part of that. So much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. And, and, And we've got to get to that point where we understand that. And that's what Paul said. He said, it's not about me being in prison. It's not about me struggling. It's not about me suffering. It's not about me having a hard time. It's, not, it's about the message. And it's about that God be glorified in all this stuff that's happening here. And pray for those guys that are keeping this from happening because right now I need to get them out of the way so I can keep doing what I'm doing. And I just want to challenge you because some of what you're struggling with right now might be, simply be because it's become all about your world. And there's a bigger world outside of you and me. Second idea here is this, the idea of faith. Look, God's been faithful to you. And for some of you, one of the best things you could do this week, get you a piece of paper and start writing down all the faithful things that you've seen God do for you. If you're really honest about it, you won't be able to put it all on one piece of paper. You really think about it. I mean, you really think about it. The fact that you got up this morning, there are people all over this world to trade places with you in a heartbeat. The fact that you could feed yourself, dress yourself, take care of yourself. The fact that you walked out of a house this morning and chose which car to drive. That you went to a closet full of clothes and picked out what you were going to wear. That you went to a pantry or refrigerator that was so full you didn't know what to choose today. Do I need to keep going? All of that is God's faithfulness because there are people all over the world, they don't get what we've been given because God's been faithful. He's been good to us. And we forget that sometimes. The hope. Some of you have lost hope. You think, oh, no, no, that situation's hopeless. You understand what you're saying? Let me say for you what you're not saying. It's impossible even for God to work on that one. Oh, I wouldn't say that. If that situation is hopeless, then yes, that's exactly what you're saying. You sit there and you look at your situation, you go, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. How big is your God? How big is your God? That's what it comes down to. Because see, I have an incredibly big God. Look, you're watching us take a huge step of faith. My pastor friends look at me and think I am nuts. And I'm like, well, I am, but okay. We'll just go from there. 
They're like, you're not going to, like, go get a loan so you can finish it? Nope. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I've actually had this argument with pastor friends. I've had this argument with pastor friends. You've got to understand, if you finish it, they will come. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to go into debt for it. If God wants it, God can pay for it. It's that simple. You go, that's, that's, just, that's so simplistic. Welcome to my world. That's how, my, that's how it works in our family. If we make a decision and God, and here's the thing. Again, I go back to the faithfulness of God. I watch God do that over and over and over and over and over again here. I can fill up pages of ways that I've seen God do that here. Well, we sat in a board meeting, and we looked at the numbers, and we said, you know what? We don't have the money to do it. And I said, we said, stop. Push that aside. Is this something God wants us to do, yes or no? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, then we're going to do it. We've taken three mission trips that way. Where the numbers didn't work. And you go, well, that's just stupid. No. We were sure it was something God wanted us to do because of the circumstances and the situation surrounding it. And we could clearly see the hand of God all over it. And in every one of those situations, we watched God do it. You know how long we prayed for dirt to be gone? All of a sudden, one day, God decided, oh, time to move dirt. That was our clue to say, hey, time to do something then. Because as a board, and these guys will tell you, we pray. I pray every single meeting, same thing. Lord, don't let us get in front of you. Don't let us get behind you. Help us to walk side by side with what you want to do here. And that's our prayer. And we go forward trusting God. And it's the same way you and I. We have a hope and confidence that God will do what God wants to do. And that's how we all have to live our lives. Not just us as a church. And the last thing is this. Don't ever question whether or not God loves you. That is straight from Satan. Because see, here's the way that works. If Satan can get you to question whether or not God loves you, then you know what you do? You start to get bitter and angry at God. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us what happens when you do that. What happens is you basically start to get angry and you start to, and I've watched this play out. Those of you who've been in church for any length of time, you watch this play out too. Here's what happens. Somebody gets something in their craw. They get angry at God. They start, they start becoming critical. And they start nitpicking. You know what happens when you start nitpicking? Now, wait, wait. I don't know that this is going on here, so this is the time to preach on it. Um, you, you start nitpicking. Then you know what happens? All the other people who want to nitpick, guess what? They find you. And they start coming around you. And you know what you do when you get together? You start nitpicking. And you start being critical and being critical. And you know what happens? There's no love mentioned when that starts happening. It's all about being critical. And then here's what happens. At some point, other people start noticing it. And the other people go, "Hmm, I don't know I want to spend as much time with them anymore. Now here's the thing. If I spent... Six months or a year being critical, being critical, being critical, being critical. And I've had all these people to be critical of, and all those people now are gone. Now who do I have to become critical of? The people who are closest to me. And here's what you watch. I've watched it play out time and time again. Then those people become critical of each other. 
Hebrews 12 says it this way, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. It's a cancer that will destroy you. And I challenge people. You know where that process always starts? God doesn't love me. When Satan can get your focus to be off of the fact that God loves you and God cares about you and God is concerned about you, Satan opens a door for all kinds of things to happen in your life. That's why Paul says, I pray that the love of God might be something that you understand, comprehend, and embrace. You want the greatest proof that God loved you? You look at the cross. Because when you offered him nothing, he said, I love you. Don't forget that. You say, yeah, but if God loves me, how come I'm going through such a time out? Ask yourself this simple question. Does God love you? Yes. How many times, for those of you who are parents or those of you who were kids, everybody, did you ever question whether or not your parents loved you based on their actions? But see, you were looking at it from a kid's perspective, not an adult perspective. As you get to be an adult, you start to realize that, you know what? I understand or I can understand why my parents did what they did. At the time, I didn't think it was love. But it was really, it was love. It just wasn't shown the way I thought it ought to be shown. God's no different. And if God's goal for our life is that the message be glorified, that he be glorified in the message that we, our lives represent, and sometimes, some of the things that happen, it's easy to question it. I get it. But we have to step back and ask ourselves, does God genuinely love us? And if you're really still struggling, 1 John says it this way, God is love. Don't forget that he loves you and he cares about you. Go, girl, go. All right, I'm going to end it with this. We are reminded that prayer is an essential need in the life of every believer. In order for God to be glorified in our lives, we have to stay faithful and continue to have confidence in the future God's promised to us. Above all, focus on the love that God has demonstrated to each one of us. Now by the faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these? Love. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, so often we filter everything in our lives through our worldview, through what's happening in our circle. And Lord, it's so easy to forget that there's, there, there's a bigger picture at play. Lord, it's so easy sometimes to forget that, uh, Lord, you do love us. You have been faithful. You did give us an incredible blessed hope and confidence. So Lord, when the difficult times come, and they will, May we take the lessons that Paul taught to these people and apply them to our lives. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may you be glorified in the message of our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen.